across all of our Sunday night local um, broadcasts and the team have been working hard on it and we're very grateful for the team but um, I know the frustration that you must feel when you're sat around waiting for things to begin so massive apologies um, to you and um, I think we are finally uh, broadcasting now so um, I won't start with a big intro or anything like that let's just get straight into uh, the teaching because you've been patiently waiting for me so thank you for hanging on in there if you didn't and uh, if you didn't then I'm not speaking to you so let's crack on shall we tonight uh, we are beginning a brand new series of teaching all around this theme of building the house now when we reference the house over this series what we're going to be talking about is our lives individually we're going to be talking about our households and we're going to be talking about the church of Jesus Christ as well, both locally and globally. So over the months of January and February, we're going to be looking at different aspects of this through the Word of God. And we're going to be referencing Nehemiah a whole lot over this time, but also drawing from different parts of the Bible to look at the central thought of building the house of God. So hopefully by now you've got um, a Bible ready, a notepad and pen, um, your mug of coffee or tea or herbal tea if you're fasting has probably gone cold, so apologies for that. Or you've drunk it all up and made yourself another five by the time that you've been waiting for us. But tonight we're going to begin with this thought of beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes as we begin this brand new series. And the central point that I want to put across tonight that I pray is going to flood your life with hope is simply this, that God is a God who rebuilds. God is a God of restoration, of redemption. He's a God of new beginnings. He's a God of a fresh start. God is a God who gives beauty for ashes. Now that phrase may seem familiar to you, beauty um, for ashes, and it's from Isaiah chapter 61. Now in Isaiah chapter 61, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the nation of Israel at a time where they are in slavery and, and they're suffering. And Isaiah was sent by God to tell God's people that he had not forsaken them, that he had not forgotten about them, but at the right time he would come to their aid and he would change their mourning into dancing. He would turn their sorrow into joy. And, and he says these words in verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 61, to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. A crown of beauty for ashes. Now, as we've said often in these Sunday night local teachings, it's important for us to understand the historical context and the time in which something is written in order to understand the power of the words that are spoken in God's word. And so Isaiah is speaking to the nation of Israel at a time where ashes were symbolic of mourning. Ashes were symbolic of grieving. The people would sit in ash to represent their sorrow. They would put ash upon their foreheads, upon their heads in order to show their grief. And so there's this beautiful symbolic image in wordplay as Isaiah says, I'm going to remove the ash from your life and instead place upon you as a nation a crown of beauty. It's a great thing that Isaiah says, and obviously we know that that prophecy was ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. But what a great promise for us today. What a great demonstration to us of who our God is, that he takes the ash, he takes the loss and the suffering and the brokenness, and he replaces it with joy. He replaces it with fulfillment. He replaces it with something beautiful. 
Now, of course, he did that at the moment of salvation, didn't he, for each and every single one of us. But when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we went from being lost to being found. We went from being sinners to being saints. We went from being dead in our sins to being made alive in Christ. He's a God who gives beauty for ashes, but he continues to do that, not just at the moment of salvation, but he continues in our journey of walking with him to continually trade in our sorrow for his joy. Our God is a God of redemption. He's a God who rebuilds. He's a God who restores. He's a God who makes all things new. In fact, he makes them so often better than they've ever been before. He's a restorer and a rebuilder. Now, if you've been watching the fasting videos that have been going out um, each morning, during this time of praying and fasting that we're committing to at the beginning of the year. And if you haven't seen them, it's the five minute video that goes out each day just to encourage you in this time of seeking God from one of the congregational leaders. And if you have been watching those, you would have seen Kirsty and I speak earlier in the week uh, from Joel chapter 2, verse 25, where the, the prophecy is given by God. It says, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts has eaten. The New Living Translation says, I will give back what you have lost. The Amplified loves the way it puts it. It says, I will compensate you. I love those words of promise and I want to encourage you tonight to listen to me speak from over your life. Make them personal to whatever situation that speaks of in your life. That God says these words, restore, give back and compensate. Now, for the people at the time who were listening to this prophecy, the immediate meaning of what God was saying was very clear. This was speaking of a natural harvest. This was at a time when the nation had seen their harvest completely wiped out through swarming locusts. And the locusts hadn't just destroyed one year's worth of harvest, but multiple because they would have eaten not just the grain of that year's harvest, but also the seed contained within the grain that would have been future year's harvest. And so the nation are on their knees in this moment, stuff has been taken from them. And here comes the prophecy, the word of God, that God says, I'm going to compensate you. I'm going to restore you for what you have lost. Listen to what the prophecy says, verse 24, before what we've just read. It says, the threshing floors shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. Verse 26 says, once again, you will have all the food you want and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. So their restoration was going to be both physical and spiritual. Physically, they were going to have this harvest that would compensate them. They would eat plenty. But spiritually, they would be drawn back to a place where they would praise God once again. God was restoring what had been taken. He was restoring the harvest that had been wiped out. He was restoring the years that the locusts had eaten. Now, obviously, for the nation of Israel, this was speaking of a natural grain harvest, as well as also being obviously a, a prophecy of what was to come in the latter days. But I wonder, what does it speak of for you personally tonight? What is this speaking of? For you, maybe it speaks of a year or a season of fruitlessness that 
you look over your life and you see that there's been a season where not a lot of fruit has come from your life. It feels like your days have been void of any sense of purpose. You've just been going through the motions of existence rather than truly living for the purposes of God. Maybe it speaks of a season of pain and hardship. Maybe it's just one thing after another and you're thinking, what's coming next? How, how much worse could my life get than it is right now? Maybe for you, this speaks of a season of ill health, maybe a physical ailment or emotional turmoil in your life. Maybe it speaks of a shrinking back or a falling asleep spiritually, what Pastor Andy and I have both spoken about recently on Sunday morning broadcast. And you feel like you've drawn away from the closeness you once had with God. Now, for many people, of course, last year, 2020, felt like a year that the locusts had eaten. Maybe it signified a lot of these things that we're speaking about tonight. Maybe it was a year where you experienced difficulty, where you faced financial hardship, where you battled with loneliness, where maybe you had a problem relationally or with your health. Maybe it was a year where you felt spiritually lost. But I want to speak this truth into your life this night and share this hope and this promise from God with you tonight that God restores that God gives back, that God compensates, that God rebuilds. And that's what we're declaring over the year 2021. Not just because we've magically turned the corner in a calendar and so everything goes away. I think just the first 10 days of this year have shown you that just because a calendar changes, it doesn't mean that a magic wand is waved and everything changes in life. We're in another lockdown. You see what's going on in the news around the world. Uh, things haven't changed because we're in a new year. So this isn't about the change of a calendar. This is about the knowledge of God's goodness. That's why we can believe God for restoration in our lives. What is it that you need rebuilding in your life? Where is it that you need beauty for ashes? I believe that these are good questions for us to ask as we begin this new year. So Nehemiah, turn your Bibles to Nehemiah if you've got your Bible with you or maybe you've got it on your phone. The book of Nehemiah, and we're going to be in this um, for a portion of tonight, a classic Old Testament builder. And throughout this series, as I said, we're going to be popping in and out of the storyline of Nehemiah. So I'd encourage you throughout the month of January, why not spend some time reading through this account written by Nehemiah to understand what we're journeying through together as a congregation and maybe God's going to speak to you individually um, through the word as well I know that he will and so tonight we're going to focus in just on the beginning part of Nehemiah's journey as we talk about God rebuilding in our lives that God is a God who restores so firstly the background to the story of Nehemiah what we're about to read together is set in around around 443 BC so 443 years uh, before Jesus and uh, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. That was his role. And so amongst other things that he would do, he would taste the wine in order to make sure that the wine wasn't poisoned. Now, some of you listening tonight would think, well, that's a great job. I, I'd, I'd like that job to be paid to test the wine. Some of you would like that. But also, if he tasted the wine and it was poisoned, he would be the first to know about it. He was the first to be affected by it. And so life insurance may have been difficult to get for Nehemiah at this time. But he was somebody 
who was in this comfortable position. He was an Israelite, uh, a Jewish man, yet we don't know whether he'd ever been to the nation of Israel because a hundred years before what we're about to read, the Babylonians had gone in and invaded the nation of Israel. They destroyed the temple, they destroyed Jerusalem, and they brought back the Israelites into Babylon uh, and into a place of captivity. Now, a hundred years after that has happened, here's what we're about to read in the account of Nehemiah. He's working for the king and we're going to pick up the account. So Nehemiah chapter one, we're going to read verses one to four. It says this, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. Okay, in the time that we've got remaining tonight, I want to quickly look at five brief things. Don't worry, they're not going to be long. Five brief things that we can learn from Nehemiah and the account that we've just read, that we can apply into our lives as we trust God to rebuild God's, the stuff that's broken in our life for his ultimate glory. So here's the first thing that I want to encourage you with. Don't accept things as they are. Don't accept things as they are. You see, if you want to see God at work in your life, you've got to get to a place where you don't accept things as they are, or you don't believe the lie that things could never get better. Listen, that's a lie from the enemy. God can always turn a situation around. No matter how desperate it may seem, he will make a way where there seems to be no way. He is a God who can do the impossible. That's true for a, a church who may be trying to overcome evil in its community. That's true for a married couple who feel like their marriage is going through the motions. That's true for somebody who's constantly feeling downcast and wondering whether they'll ever have any joy in their life again. God can turn things around. See, the story of Nehemiah is all about a man who became aware of something that wasn't as God intended it to be. And he didn't just sit there, he did something about it. See, here's Nehemiah, he's in this place of comfort, and the people come and they tell him what's going on in Jerusalem. He could have just shrugged. He could have said, oh, that's a shame to hear, but I'm just going to stay in my comfort, my life's okay. But he was moved by what he heard, and he chose not to accept things as they were. Whatever area of your life you're believing for God to, to rebuild, whatever area of your life you want to see changing, don't swallow the lie that things can't change. Your marriage can be amazing again. Your heart can be filled with joy again. Your body can be in full health again. Your child can come back to God again. Your days can be filled with purpose Again, don't accept things as they are. Number two, acknowledge the need. This is tied into the first point, really. Acknowledge the need. But Nehemiah refused to accept things as they were because he chose to acknowledge the need. Verse four says this. 
when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Nehemiah had acknowledged and been moved by the need. I, I want to encourage you to be somebody who's sensitive enough that when the Holy Spirit points out something in your life or around your life that needs changing, you are moved to action. You respond to the need and you acknowledge the need. It may be a need in somebody around you. It may be that you see a need in their life that may be practical. It may be uh, financial. It may be that they need encouragement. It may be that they just need somebody to, to text it. You see that need and you acknowledge the need. It may be that you acknowledge a need in the church. That, as we said recently, we're going to look to rebuild in coming weeks and months as we look to regather and what that looks like. It may be that you acknowledge the need of playing your role, of playing your part in that. It may be that the Holy Spirit points out a need in your life and he's encouraging you to acknowledge that there's a need spiritually in your life or a need for God to heal you relationally in some way. Acknowledge the need, just as Nehemiah did. But notice, Nehemiah didn't just acknowledge the need and weep about it. He didn't just mourn in sorrow. He didn't remain focused or besotted on how things had got so bad. What did he do? Read the rest of verse four. It says, when I read this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God in heaven. Point number three, if we're believing for God to rebuild, prayer is going to be a massive part of that. And, and at times it's going to include as well fasting, fasting and prayer. And that's a a time that we're in right now, isn't it, as a church, as we've committed these first 21 days of 2021 to prayer and fasting. Why prayer? Why fasting? Let me answer the second part of that question first. Why do we fast? Now, here's what we need to understand. That we don't fast because, you know, God has told us we have to fast. God hasn't told us we have to. It won't save us. It won't make us any more righteous. Both of those things are through our faith in Jesus Christ. For you are as righteous as you'll ever get if it's based upon the performance of Jesus Christ and not trying to be based upon your performance. Remember, our performance are like filthy rags in the sight of God when it comes to us trying to make ourselves righteous. So fasting isn't about that. Fasting won't make God love you anymore. He can't love you anymore and he won't ever love you any less. Fasting is about us removing our eyes off ourselves and what's going on in our world and placing our eyes on heaven. See, fasting and prayer are so often linked in the Bible, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. Fasting and praying. Luke 2 verse 37, speaking of a prophet Anna, it says, Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshipping God with fasting and praying. Luke 5 verse 33 references John the Baptist's disciples and their habit of fasting and praying. And we could look at a whole load more examples tonight. As I said, fasting helps us take our eyes off ourselves, our own situations, what's going on in our lives. And it causes us to be more dependent on God as we silence the soul. Now listen to me, fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes us. And I think that Nehemiah knew in part what lay ahead of him. He knew this massive task that was 
before him and he knew that he was going to need God's favour, God's wisdom, God's strength. And so in this moment, he fasted and he prayed. Now, why did he pray? Why do we need to pray? Because prayer is powerful according to the word of God. If you're believing for something to change, if you're believing for beauty for ashes, if you're believing for restoration and rebuild in your life, then you've got to get to a place where you don't try and force that change in your own strength, but you pray. James 5 verse 16 says the prayer of a righteous person. That's you. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is you. So we could change this to say your prayer is powerful and effective. Not just my prayer as pastor, your prayer as an individual believer is powerful and effective. The Passion Translation, I love the way it puts it. Tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. I love the way that's put. 1 John 5 verse 14. This is the confident, the Amplified says, this is the remarkable degree of confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will find mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it the most. If you're making the decision tonight to not accept things as they are in your life, but to believe God for better, it's time to pray. And hey, why not fast and pray? If you haven't yet joined in with our corporate fast at the beginning of this year, it's not too late. God's not looking religiously down from heaven and say, well, you missed the first 10 days, so you're off the list. uh, And I'm only going to look at the people who did it from January the 1st midnight. No, God's not like that. So you have an opportunity to join in with our prayer and fasting. Now, it may be that because of medical reasons, you shouldn't fast a physical food. We understand that we would, wouldn't advise you to do so if it's not wisdom to do so. But maybe you can fast something else from your life that would enable you to silence the soul and focus in on what God is speaking to you and what God is wanting to do in you before he does something for you and through you. So number three, we pray. Number four, what does Nehemiah teach us? He teaches us to own our part. But if you're believing for restoration in your life, if you're believing for God to rebuild, if you're believing for beauty for ashes, then do you know what? There may just be a responsibility upon us to work out and to be true and to own up to where we failed, to own our part. If your walk with God has grown cold or stale, if your marriage is failing, if your friendships have become strained, then I believe there's a responsibility to be mature enough to own our part in that. That's what Nehemiah did. Listen to this, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. It says, listen to my prayer, O God. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees and regulations that you gave us for your servant Moses. So just like Nehemiah, here is, uh, sorry, just like Ezra and Daniel, here is Nehemiah and he identifies with the sins of his people. 
He doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't say, well, it was the rest of them, but it wasn't me. I'm perfect. He doesn't do that. He owns up to his part. He says, I could have been better in this. I have personal responsibility for this. If we're believing for restoration, it may require repentance on our part. Now, of course, repentance isn't a dirty word. Repentance isn't just about weeping and, and, and in the 21st century, you know, throwing out a whole load of ash and sitting in ash and just crying ourselves to sleep. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is a changing of mind. Repentance is a complete redirection for our future. And it may be tonight that we need to repent of our actions before God and before others. The great news is that if that's us, then God's mercy and God's grace is freely available to us. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So restoration, rebuilding, may require repentance on our part. It may require us to forgive others and to release them from the bondage of unforgiveness. It may require us to ask others for their forgiveness. Listen to the words of Jesus, Matthew 5, verse 23 to 24. So then, if you are presenting a gift before the altar in the temple, and suddenly you remember a quarrel that you have with a fellow believer, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and go at once to apologise to the one who is offended. Then, after you have been reconciled, come to the altar and present your gift. Nehemiah teaches us that if we believe God for him to rebuild, it may first require us to own our part. And number five, here's the final point. Take steps forward. For those taking notes, take steps forward. See, Nehemiah could have stopped after the first four things. He could have uh, acknowledged the need. He could have said, I'm not going to accept this. He, he could have prayed and fasted. He could have owned his part, but if he'd stopped there, that would have been the end of the story. That would have been the end of the book in the Old Testament. It probably wouldn't have made the Old Testament. You see, God wants us to seek him. God wants us to be reliant upon him, and it's God who will rebuild, but God wants us to play our part. That's why when God healed Naaman in the Old Testament, it was God who did the miracle. It was God who gave him his healing, but he required of Naaman something. He asked Naaman to play his part, to demonstrate his faith. Naaman had to go and dip himself in the river seven times and then God performed the miracle. We think of when God parted the Red Sea in order to save the Israelites from the Egyptians. It was God who did that. God performed the miracle and yet he asked Moses to play his part by raising his staff aloft in order to see the miracle take place. When Jesus fed the 5,000 men plus women and children besides, it was Jesus who did that. It was him who performed that incredible miracle. But he asked the disciples to play their part by bringing him five loaves and two fish that he could work with. God performs the miracle. It's God who does the miraculous. It's God who rebuilds. It's God who gives us beauty for ashes. And yet he asks us to play our part. All throughout the Bible, you see this in action. And so Nehemiah weeps and he fasts and he prays and he repents. But then he takes steps forward. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, 
Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem having sought favour and gained favour with the king and he goes to Jerusalem and he walks around the city and his heart is disturbed all the more and he he thinks I've got to do something about this we've got to make a difference here God you've got to help us to rebuild these walls it was a disgrace for the nation for a number of reasons that we'll go into at a different time and so he calls the, the Jewish leaders together and he says this in Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 17 to 18 he says you know very well what trouble we are in Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king they replied at once yes let's rebuild the wall so they began the good work now we'll look more at that in coming weeks and the actual rebuilding of their heart to say yes but let's just stop there for tonight and let me ask you personally this evening watching me right now how does this apply to you beauty for ashes restoration of what has been lost compensation of what the enemy has stolen how does that fit into your life and as you think about that tonight i want to encourage you don't accept things as they are right now. God can turn any situation around. I don't, I don't know how desperate you may feel. I don't know how void of hope your situation may look tonight. But God can turn things around for your good and for his glory. Don't accept things as they are. Acknowledge the need. Acknowledge the need around you. Acknowledge the need within you. Pray. Maybe you want to fast as well in this season own your part which may mean forgiving others or it may mean asking for forgiveness it may even mean forgiving yourself and finally take steps forward being fully reliant on God but willing to play your part I hope that helps tonight I hope that's been a challenge to you again massive apologies for the delay at the beginning of the broadcast and thank you very much uh, for being patient and for waiting to hear this word tonight. Let me just end by praying for you this evening. As we begin this journey of teaching together on Sunday evening, Sunday night local, and we're going to continue this theme of rebuilding the house or building the house. We're believing for your life, for your household, for our church. But we're going to see God do some incredible things through these teachings. But let me just begin this series by praying for you. And believing that over the coming weeks and months, we're going to see in whatever area of your life this is relevant for, we're going to see beauty for ashes. God will restore the years that the locust has eaten. God will pay back and give back. God will compensate for what the enemy has stolen. I'm declaring that over your life tonight. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you tonight are speaking to our lives. Father, I just thank you that at the beginning of this series as we lay this out father we're believing for you to restore god if there's going to be a building of our lives of our church god it's you who does that building but you call us to play our part and so father i pray tonight that we would be stirred to acknowledge the need to believe that you can change things to be a people of prayer but also god that we would be people who are moved 
to action. God, show us what it is you need us to do. God, show us where we need to own our part. God, show us how we need to walk in obedience. And Father, right now I declare over every single person watching tonight or maybe catching up with us a little bit later on, I declare a time of restoration. I declare a time where things are going to change. Father, I thank you that you give us a crown of beauty for ashes. You bring dancing where there was mourning. You bring joy where there was sorrow. Father, I thank you in families, in career, in individuals' lives, in health, you are going to perform a miraculous turnaround. We thank you, God, that it's you who does this perfect work in us. Amen. Hey, Family Church, I pray that that's blessed you this evening. We'll be back here next Sunday evening for our next stage of Sunday Night Local, talking about building 